Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome again to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through three media channels, here at Blog Talk Radio, through our online newsletters, and via our magazine. They are now all available to you at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Each month, we touch more than one million small business leaders just like you through our various channels. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our, our guests are carefully chosen for their expertise or experience. They do not pay to be on this program, but rather our editors and readers identify, identify them for us. If you have any suggestions or particular topics you want us to cover, please email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Tonight's program, like all our efforts, have a wide diversity of guests talking about the topics you want to hear. Uh, uh, I'm particularly pleased to, uh, today to welcome Marco Luminis. Uh, as he says, he is an American businessman, investor, television personality, and, phila- and philanthropist. He serves as chairman and CEO of Camping World and Good Sam Enterprises and stars at CNBC's primetime reality show, The Prophet, which I heartily recommend to you because it is a terrific show. Marcus, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's a great program, and all the things that you do to help small businesses really really makes a difference, and I hope people appreciate it as much as I do. Well, uh, uh, I watched, I've been watching your show, and... Uh, uh, I, I just find it fascinating. But uh, bef- before we get into it, we always ask our guests to tell the uh, tell the, the audience a little bit about themselves. Uh, Marcus, you have a terrific story, so just tell us a little bit. So, real quick, uh, the Cliff Notes version of it is that uh, I was living in an orphanage uh, in Beirut, Lebanon, at nine months old, and and uh, blessed to be adopted by an American family here in the United States, true American dream. Uh, and being an entrepreneur is kind of what I did early on. At, at the age of 12, I started my first lawn business. At the age of 14, I was uh, running a little candy trading business. And uh, over the course of the years, I knew that, that, that the most important thing uh, for me in this world was to not only give back, but to to truly do what I, I did best, which is understand my numbers and make money doing it. And uh, uh, I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee. Uh, I studied political science because I was probably too lazy to, to take some of the other classes, but got a great experience, had a great experience there. And uh, early on uh, uh, through my college career, I thought I was going to go to law school and decided that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my family owned the two largest Chevy stores in the United States, and I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, so I decided instead to go run for office, believe it or not. And at the age of 21, I ran for the House of Representatives in South Florida. I got the Democratic nomination, went all the way to the uh, to the uh, general election and lost. 
Uh, my territory was Miami Beach, the homestead, and um, uh, I think losing was the best thing because it was the first lesson for me in business uh, that you're not always going to get a good deal, and that you're going to lose, and you're going to you know you're going to make mistakes, and uh, you know often in life, and I, I give this advice to small businesses around the country, you're going to you're going to take chances in life, you're going to invest. Uh, everything you have, mortgage your home, your credit cards, do all these things. And if you're disciplined and you're committed, in the end things will work out. But along the way, it's going to get a little bumpy. And, and over the course of, of my times, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and, and learned from them. Well, uh, uh, what, do, what do you consider um, the mistake you learned the most from? Yeah, I think the mistake I learned the most from is I experienced success pretty early on. You know, I'm 39 years old today, and in my 20s, uh, I was, you know, experiencing good success. And I would say that uh, what happened to me is what happens to a lot of uh, young people who experience success, whether it's professional athletes or singers or actors. They get a little bit of money, and they get sloppy with it, and they overspend, and they do things that they really shouldn't, and uh and it really was an eye-opening thing to, to kind of recognize that early on. But I, I would say that that's my single biggest self-criticism is not not being more respectful of money in the early stages of my uh, in the early stages of my success. It's interesting. Uh, I've always held with the idea that uh, the Lord will provide, but uh, it's a le- uh, the cash discipline is one I had to learn. Uh, I learned it later on in life, but uh, you're very true. Well, you, uh, tell us a little bit about putting Camping World together. I, I found reading about that interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of my first job that I ever had was at a company called Auto Nation. It was an auto consolidator. I was one of the original people there. And about four years into it, I got a call from a family friend of mine, Lee Iacocca, who said, look, if you want to really make it in life, in business, and you want to have a legacy, you need to do something that's different. you got to pioneer something. Uh, and he suggested that I look at an industry that had really uh, fast-trending demographics in terms of, the, terms of the baby boomers. It was a product that the American consumer loves. I mean, who doesn't love hot dogs, camping, and all the things that go along with it? So in 2001, um, I decided to put together a RV consolidation. I went around the country. I used up every penny that I had and every bank that I could build a relationship with, and I started buying up independent RV dealerships around the country. In 2005, uh, I merged it with a company called Camping World, which at the time was a very small business, $150 million business, and had only had 30 stores. Uh, today it has 100 stores. Uh, I have 6,000 employees. My business is, it does about six, uh, $3 billion in business, and I make up about 24% of the entire RV marketplace. And, you know, it truly is um, a great success story, but I have to tell you, what's more relevant than that is 2008 and 2009. And for everybody that listens to your great program or reads, uh, you know, all your stuff, 2008 and 2009 for all of us, were some of the darkest times in this country, and I'm sure that uh, you, me, and everybody else thought they were going to lose everything. And it was really that perseverance, that discipline, that structure, all those things that got me through to the other side and probably got a lot of your listeners through to the other side that will uh, that will prove 
uh, in the long term, who's going to be successful and who's not. It's those disciplines that I find in making the television show that you'll see the difference between people that respect things and people that don't, and it, it's um, it's interesting. Well, um, one of the things that we we've seen in um, in recent months is the fact that uh, a lot of smaller companies have now uh, really cut to the bone and are really waiting for the turnaround. Um, what? How do you feel about that, and what do you suggest they do? Can you repeat that? I, I missed the first part of it. Well, um, uh, we've we've seen, uh, based on our studies, that a lot of small businesses have cut back uh, almost all the fat, and now are cutting into the bone because they're waiting for the for this recession right. to uh, right. uh, to end. Um, right. So here's what, the, yeah, I, I I I think I understand, and here's the advice that I would give people. It's very difficult to cut your way to a profit. In fact, it's impossible to cut your way to a profit. And there is a balance between wasteful spending in your company, too many layers of management, uh, not being disciplined with your cash. There's a balance between that and and going so deep that your business becomes paralyzed. And you need to invest in marketing you need to have a sales training program, whether you sell a sale, a, a product, or a service. And you need to have an infrastructure that properly records your revenue, properly accounts for your cash, and properly disciplines you on forecasting for tomorrow. And when you cut too deep, you know, they always the first thing to get cut is training, and then the next thing to get cut is advertising. And then you start cutting into things where the proprietor starts to do a lot of those functions him or herself. They're not mm-hmm. qualified to do them. They're just not qualified. And on Tuesday, you miss something. On Wednesday, you miss something else. On Friday, you cut a corner. And then you know what happens the next week? you got a product that basically looks unfinished. Uh, that's very sound advice. Well, how do you see um, uh, the immediate future and the far future in terms of small businesses? Um do you see a positive outlook in the environment? Do you? What do you tell people when they ask you that? When they ask you that question. Do you know the the future of small business is going to depend on a couple of factors, and I think that the government plays a pretty big role in that, and how the SBA and small businesses interact together. One of the things that I would strongly encourage our community, our society, our government to do is to really re-engage with the SBA and to really surround the SBA with business professionals who can give good advice, who can structure loans for people that are disciplined. And I think that small business in this country has a very, very bright future. However, if small businesses do not subscribe to the types of disciplines that big businesses subscribe to, which is understanding the process of buying and selling products, understanding the process of recording your revenue and counting your cash and putting, you know, internal controls in place, uh, making sure that your product transforms and is innovative and is relevant, making sure that you understand how to price your product and understanding that buying the product is as important as selling the product. And then most importantly and last, and I'll always end with this, is making sure that you have the right people, that you pay them well, that you reward them, that you train them, and that you give them sound and reasonable expectations, no matter what their job is in the company. 
what do you look for in a good employee, and how do you um, work with that employee to uh, to help him or her achieve success? You know, what I look for in a good employee is a work ethic first and foremost, coupled with a high level of integrity and a high level of ethics. Those kind of basic pillars of, of fundamentals are what build the legs on the stool. As you move further up that stool, what becomes more difficult is do they have the knowledge and do they have the education and the academia to do the product, to do the service, to, to sell the product, to manage the business? I'm much more of a believer of getting people with very solid foundations and then teaching them the craft. I would much rather have a uh, a person like that that I have to teach the craft than a know-it-all who lacks the legs on the stool. So my advice to people is if you if you want to be successful in business, you got to have great work ethic. You got to be the first person there in the morning and the last person there at night. You got to be committed to being a team player. You have to be a good listener. And you have to have a high level of integrity. The rest, you can learn it. You can learn it anywhere. Well, do you find um, we uh, we uh, you're relatively young? I'm a, I'm a, I'm of a different generation than you, uh, and we always say the the the, the last gener- the ne- upcoming generation is always worse than the one we had. But uh, do you find uh, today's young people as motivated as you would like? You know, it's an interesting question of whether I find young people to be as motivated. I I really still see a split uh, in the generation gap. So as I look through, you know, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, so on and so forth, I don't necessarily assign uh, any sort of um, uh, typecast to a a generation. What I I see is a cultural uh, difference. What I'm finding is, that people who recognize that they are blessed to be in this country, they recognize that the value of the dollar, they recognize that work ethic surpasses everything else, they recognize that ethics in business are more important than, than, than the profits in business, they'll do well. Young people um, uh, seem to be getting better, but I must tell you that when I look at some of my peers, and I'm, as I said, I'm 39, there are some of those people who lack those beliefs as opposed to skills. It's more of a belief, a foundation. And and I worry about, um, you know, what the future of this country has if people don't kind of snap out of it and understand that those that nobody is entitled to anything and no one deserves a gift or a handout. They have to work for it. And if we start to see that progression away from that entitlement and on to kind of self-motivation and, and self self control and self discipline, I think our future is very bright. If we don't, I, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little worried. Well, um, you're a, a philanthropist, and people, uh, can you tell us a little bit of what you're doing in that area? So philanthropy for me is a is a. And I'll be glad to talk about it. It's a very very private thing. I try not to talk about it too much because it's it's important to kind of keep those things personal and private, and follow your beliefs and the things that are important to you fundamentally. But what I do find myself having an attraction to is is the young people of this country. And, and whether it's uh, being involved in educational programs in underprivileged cities or finding uh, programs that give people an opportunity, I'm a big believer in, 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 you know, no pun intended, kind of paying it forward. And 
I do spend a lot of my money um, supporting programs and building programs, but much like I operate in business, and this is a very good discipline for, I think, a lot of people, is I won't invest in any organization unless I believe that it's run like a business, including a nonprofit. So um, I did an episode of Secret Millionaire a couple of years ago, and, and what I liked about one of the companies is their focus on on um, running it like a small business and, you know, what percentage of their expenses uh, uh, went, what percentage of the money they raised went out the door uh, with expenses and how they manage things. And I think giving money away in this country is something that everybody needs to do. Uh, but as you would imagine, charity starts at home. So I work hard to support things in my local community, in my state, and then I, I really do use the borders of this country as kind of a wall for me. I, I tend to not give outside the country, um, even though I am an immigrant, because I feel like I'm blessed. This country gave me the opportunity to be successful. This is where I owe my uh, my gratitude and my money. Well, uh, that's exactly how I feel about it, too. My father came to this country. Um, uh, let me ask you, what, what are, will be the three things that you would tell uh, someone uh, starting out a small business today? If somebody was starting a small business today, I would give them uh, three three pillars of advice. One is understand why you're getting into that business. Don't just do it because you think it's fun or it's going to be exciting. Understand what's the purpose and what's the mission statement and what's the what are your core values and why are you doing that. Number two, do not get into business unless you're properly capitalized. Uh, understand that usually in years one, two, and three, you're going to lose money. And oftentimes people go in with a finite amount of cash. They have no source for additional cash. You get into business, your idea is fantastic. You have a great product or a great service, and then they just run out of money, and it ends. So don't ever go into a business undercapitalized. And then the last thing is surround yourself with people that know the product or service more than you do if you're going to get into business. So as a very relevant example, when I got into the camping business and the RV business, I knew a lot about the auto business, but I didn't know a lot about the RV business. And I made sure that I surrounded myself with people that knew the RV space way better than I did. If I bought a small restaurant, if I bought a cleaning company, if I bought whatever it may be, I always wanted to make sure that the people I either put in business or surrounded myself with knew a lot. So if you're going to open up a small business tomorrow, unless you're an expert, and you really know everything, you better surround yourself with people that know more. That's good advice. Tell us about your program on CNBC. So uh, the program, The Profit on CNBC, uh, it airs Tuesday nights at, at 10 p.m. Eastern and then again at 10 p.m. Pacific. And it is a show that focuses on small to medium businesses in this country. I go in, I do a very quick analysis, uh, and I spend $2 million of my own money trying to rescue these businesses, in some cases, from themselves. And I focus on three core principles, people, process, and product. If uh, two of the three are missing, I usually don't do a deal. But the one thing I will tell you is out of all of those, I meet a lot of companies that have a great process and a great product and have terrible people. I won't do that deal. If I meet a great company with unbelievable people, an average process, and an average product, I'll chase that deal till the end because I love investing in people. And as you watch the program, 
people will see that it's really all about the people, and that's small business, big business, $10 billion business, uh, $10 million business, $1 million business. If you don't have good people, you're you're going to be out of gas. I couldn't agree. Any last thoughts before we let you go? Uh, I'd, I'd keep you on an hour, but uh, we have other other guests, and it's, you're fascinating, and I hope you'll come back. But I any definitely other will thoughts? come back. You know, my last thought is for all the listeners is when you wake up in the morning and you have an idea to start a small business in this country, write it down, write it down again, you know, play devil's advocate and make sure it's right. If you own a small business today and you're struggling, always look for help, but stick to your guns, be disciplined, be committed, don't give up on your dream, and don't expect to make a million dollars in year one. And that's the single biggest mistake is, don't get involved in a get-rich-quick scheme. Stick to basics, and you'll be fine. Thank you, Marcus, and come back again soon. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Uh, next up, welcome welcome to Small Business Digest. Who's on? T- uh, Toby, are you on? Here, Dan, I'm on. Okay, Toby. Uh, it's Joby Babu, correct? From Nim. That's right, Don. Joby. That's right, Don. I'm hearing. Okay, we hear you. We're going to talk about creating buzz, but first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Don. So, uh, myself, Joby Babu. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of uh, Nimbus, the, one of the biggest global messaging and communication platform around the world. Uh, which is a platform with around 165 million users around the world, though. Um, uh, I started uh, as a normal telecom engineer back down there in New Jersey uh, in, in uh, 2001, when you know the economy was going through some rough times. Uh, but, you know, everything worked out pretty good, and opportunities were just racking up uh, in, in line. And uh, worked with uh, Motorola Mobile Devices for a good uh, eight years to, like, 2007, uh, and, and uh, had been working with them in multiple geographies in New Jersey, uh, then back down to their carpet office in Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, eight years of work basically made me uh, kind of rethink about the kind of companies that I want to work for and stuff because it's a huge company. Work was great, but uh, I was in a spot where I was not an impactful uh, player inside the company. So that's when uh, I decided to venture out of the United States, uh, basically started with uh, the option of doing an MBA outside the United States. I went down to Oxford University in the UK, uh, finished an MBA, so this aspiration of uh, trying out some of the emerging markets came up, and a person of Indian origin, I was an immigrant in the U.S. Uh, come, uh, I, I kind of uh, grew up in India for a good part of my uh, uh, childhood uh, before I moved down to states. So I decided to give it a try in the market that I was comfortable with, and that was India. Uh, that's when you know, kind of, uh, you know, bumped into a European company, a company of. Uh, Dutch origin, uh, which was doing uh, pretty well in this space, or rather, like you know, which was doing pretty okay in this space in the space of instant messaging, especially in uh, mobile instant messaging. And that's where I started my uh, aspirational mobile internet life um, back in 2009. 
and um, ever since been uh, with uh, Nimbus BV, uh, and you know we've been doing extremely well over the last uh, three to four years, uh, doing a lot of good stuff around the world. So that's uh, pretty much about it. And you know, uh, Nimbus BV uh, has, has become pretty much you know one of the top default players in the entire domain of internet messaging, which is like you know the new hot mobile internet domain. Like uh, I would say that the Facebooks or the social networks of uh, late 2000s. So we're glad to be in this area. A lot of exciting things happening around and uh, extremely happy to uh, lead the operations of this uh, venture, which is extremely successful in uh, a lot of developing countries. And, you know, we do pretty okay in uh, the developed part of the world too, but developing countries have been exceptionally good for us. So good to be part of this uh, new hot instant messaging domain. Well, tell us about NinBuzz. Sure. So Nimbus is a mobile uh, instant messaging, calling, and a broader communications platform. This company actually formed in 2006 uh, back in uh, the town of Rotterdam, the city of Rotterdam in Netherlands. Uh, you know, if you ask me, it was a little ahead of time back in 2006-07 um, because smartphones, as you know, you know, smart, with, the, with the evolution of the smartphone ecosystem in the handset uh, ecosystem, uh, everything started kind of changing. Uh, if you remember the days in 2005, six, right. there were not too many people who were up there. So, uh, you know, uh, with the evolution of the smartphone ecosystem, Nimbus kind of uh, uh, started getting into this entire mobile and messaging platform. Now we are a global company with around 165 million users around the world. Uh, you know, but, uh, the product is mostly about uh, facilitating one-to-one, one-to-many, uh, and, you know, one-to-even anonymous unknown chatting. So the, this is what the platform is about, and, you know, we facilitate calling uh, when, uh, on the platform. Application-to-application calling is pretty much free. There is paid calling, and there is a very innovative concept called the chat buddy that we have introduced on this particular platform. So chat oh. buddy is nothing but an opportunity. For, sorry, Don. No, you. Uh, uh, I'm a small business. How would I use Nimbus? So, uh, you know, for small businesses, this is a great opportunity to get in touch with uh, uh, the, the enormous Nimbus user base around the world. So, for example, you know, the ChatBuddy concept that I just started right now, it provides a platform where any business can touch, get in touch with any user. So, let's say. Dance business is ABC, and let's say ABC can get in touch with all the Nimbus users in the form of a chat friend. So, like the way I have Don on my friends list, as uh, or, uh, you know, on my friends list, I can have the the I mean the venture that Don runs uh, as a friend on my chat roster. So, uh, on my friends list, so the business can easily get be in touch with the users, and it provides an immense opportunity there. Second. If dance business wants to use a communication platform, uh, you know, as a close group, let's say for a close group, it, it, this Nimbus as a platform provides a great opportunity, you know, for uh, running that close group platform on Nimbus too. But you know, that's open to any business. This ChatBuddy is an uh, amazing opportunity, as is an amazing platform that a lot of small businesses, a lot of big brands, everybody kind of uh, use it because it's a yeah, great platform to be in touch with the Nimbus users and communicate and engage with the users on a day-to-day level. Okay. Uh, how can our uh, listeners uh, uh, get to, to your site and to uh, you? 
so you know the easiest opportunity to know more about us is uh, com. but all the leading app stores you know be it android be it iphone be it blackberry windows phone 8 everywhere we present if they just go to the app store and search for nimbus messenger nimbus as in n i m b u z z nimbus messenger they can easily find us and to get in touch with me personally i'm always available at my email id which is j o b y b a b u at nimbus.com it's joby babu at nimbus.com uh, joby thank you so much for uh, being with us tonight uh, we we, we really enjoy it. pleasure talking to you okay we'll be back uh with our next guest in in just 30 seconds Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit cost. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Hi, welcome back to Small Business Digest. We have an exciting program with a, a whole a lot of guests. So uh, our next guest is Ship Station Robert Gilbreth. Uh, Robert, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Don. Oh, um, we always start by asking our guests briefly a little bit of their background. About sure. their personal um, background. Yeah, my 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 uh, personal background is um, I I grew up with parents that always had small businesses and um, you know firsthand experience the the highs and lows of what that means to folks, and um, it was part of that that. Um, small business experience that, that has pushed me to where I am today with ShipStation, um, literally um, in, a, in a company helping small businesses uh, optimize their online um, retail experiences for their customers. And, and it's something that, that I struggle with uh, with my dad back in the early days at eBay as we tried to uh, use that, that tool early on to, to liquidate merchandise and sell goods. So I kind of, kind of come full circle dozens of years later and now I'm, now I'm helping other small businesses, basically helping helping the later versions of what I was years ago. Okay, well, the, uh, the first question I uh, ask: What's the problem facing small businesses? That you, sure. you want to? So I mean, the, the, the problem that that we're trying to to help with, um, you know, the 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 web is such an enabler for everyone, and and uh, I believe, and we believe as a company that that. Um, small uh, businesses, small retailers can uh, can grab the opportunity of the web, and uh, it's a it can be a daunting task. So ShipStation, specifically in my company, um, works to streamline the shipping side of the business. So um, that that's where we that's the that's the, the aches and pains that we we aim to solve for folks. Well, how do you solve it? So you know, th- what happens now, Don, is someone has a product. Uh, maybe a group of products that they're selling online. It, 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 it's, it's fairly, and I, I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, it's fairly easy to get your products online. There, there's companies out there that will help you build websites and help you build a, a site with the shopping cart. 
um, what happens is if you're successful, it, it's, it's pretty hard to navigate the, the path between your shopping cart or eBay or Amazon and picking the right carrier, the right shipping provider, and getting the best deal. So ShipStation sits in the middle of that. If you can imagine three pods, one being where you're selling, one being how you're shipping, and we sit in and we, we totally simplify that, inter, that interchange between the, the places where you sell and then processing those orders and, and allowing you to have the best rates and the, the best, then the kind of the best end experience for your customers. So, in other words, you, you, uh, you, that shipping and handling that we always see at, at the end of the price, uh, you're, you're there to, to uh, make sure that uh, uh, a small business uh, makes, if not makes money, doesn't lose money in the shipping and the handling. That, that's, a, that's a big part of it, right? And then, then the small business has to decide, and, we, and we, we help people with this problem every day, is when they're competing against the likes of Amazon and, and other big retailers, they have to they have to concern them, themselves with things like free shipping. Can they afford to give free shipping? Or in some cases, can they afford not to give free shipping? And so with a tool like ours that really exposes all the, the pieces of their shipping process, they can understand how much margin they might have to work with and can decide whether or not they can they can do those kind of free shipping promotions. Well, you know, it's very interesting that you say that um, uh, because uh, I just ran into a situation talking to a small business that had just that problem uh, last Friday, trying to figure out uh, uh, the, they had a lot of pro- they had sold a lot of product, but they were having difficulty getting it out. Uh, you you don't warehouse it; you just uh, help them uh, get it out cheap uh, at less cost. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we we are we're a software as a service. We're web based. There's no software to download. No one's tied down to one individual machine. They log in. Folks, our customers log into an account, and and that's right. They we don't warehouse it. Um, we do facilitate those relationships if they want to. You know, if they want to use Amazon's fulfilled by Amazon service, we help facilitate that relationship. There are other third party fulfillers that would do warehousing services, but no, we don't personally handle any product. Uh, well, um, what would be the uh, uh, ideal? F- uh, five pieces, a hundred pieces a day? Does it uh, does it matter to you, or uh, how many pieces are involved for, uh, from it, a small? It, no, it, it doesn't really matter. And, and kind of the beauty of how our model is set up, um, we are the fees for our services um, range from as low as twenty five dollars a month. All the way up until into negotiated rates because of um, maybe very sophisticated enterprise relationships that we're establishing. Um, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the the customer needs to be able to justify at least that twenty-five dollar extra a month expense. Which, if 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 they're running most of their business correctly and they've got a, a good volume, that's an easy amount to justify in the shipping software world. And with the kind of results that we see, where um, a small and medium business will experience 40 to 50% efficiencies as far as timing and the time it takes them to process orders. Um, we have customers doing as many as 10,000 orders a day um, and using our service for that. So uh, as part of the reason that dro- dro- drove me over to this company from where I was previously um, was the fact that uh, sort of what I mentioned earlier is that we're helping, we're helping the, the very small, the medium-sized guy, guys with hopes that they become bigger 
um, because that's that's the tool that we've built. It, it doesn't matter if they're doing today they're doing ten a day and they only have an eBay store. Um, you know, we want we want them to grow. We all grow together in that situation. Well, um, what do you see uh, uh, as the most common problems facing small business in fulfilling orders? You know, um, I, I think I think part of it is is understanding um, understanding their processes and um, being able to sort of optimize the flow of products. Uh, maybe initially it's not that hard if there's a smaller number of. Uh, you know, my dad and I were were selling on eBay. You know, now it seems like I guess it's almost 20 years ago. You know, we were selling a few things a day. There was no need for any kind of process around that. You know, it was reading some emails and, and printing labels, no big deal. Walk, going down to the post office. Um, but as as that that volume grows for someone, it's it's not possible to to click click links and print and tape and and do those things. You you have to have a, 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 a some type of help um, to to automate those things and to make them more efficient. And that's, uh, what and that's where we that's where we come in. Okay. If right. people if people wanted to learn more about ShipStation, yeah, uh, ShipStation.com. www.shipstation.com. Um, there's tons of content there. We um, we pride ourselves in level of support that we give our customers. So um, we don't uh, we don't outsource anything. We're we're a, a bootstrapped startup out of Austin, Texas, and and. and you talk to you talk to a human when you need help, and you you get responses to your emails and your support tickets, and that's that's how we've grown the business, and we'll, we'll keep doing that. But yeah, ShipStation.com, um, we have a we give a 30-day free trial, no credit card needed. Literally, you can just go to the site, um, a few pieces of information to get started, and you're able to get into our application and start and start shipping labels even during your free trial. So, um, seems like a good way for folks to check it out. Um, if they wanted to talk to you. Can, do you have an email they could have? Yeah, super simple. I'm just Robert at ShipStation dot com. Just R O B E R T at ShipStation dot com, and um, I, I love. I I feel like I'm on email more than the phone. So, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions, or, yeah. and I, I've been in the e-commerce space for a long time. Like I said, growing some pretty small businesses to pretty large size. So, uh, the questions via email don't have to be ShipStation related. Any any uh, small business or e-commerce related questions are welcome. Well, um, we want you to come back, Robert, uh, and uh, uh, a little bit later in the year, we want to talk about the Christmas rush. And <laughs> a fun time for all of us. Uh, all right. Sounds good, we'll Don. Be, we'll be back with two more exciting guests after this commercial. Just how dangerous is social networking? Use of websites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are all the rage. But what are the downsides of this new technology? The incidents of bullying, stalking, harassment, and inappropriate content are increasing. Just how dangerous is it? What can you do to protect your child and yourself from it? Go to ProtectiveCountermeasures.com for a free hour-long video on the dangers of social networking. That's ProtectiveCountermeasures.com for your free hour-long video. I saw a statistic uh, last week that said uh, more sales are lost in the waiting line than in any other single place in, in a store. Uh, that's why uh, 
uh, we have Alex uh, Backer uh, on on tonight to talk about how to reduce waiting lines and and other uh, uh, queuing questions. Uh, Alex, are you on? I am, Don Pat. How are you? Good evening. Uh, good evening. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, we we Thank ask you. we ask our guests to just say a little bit of their background. So that uh, a little of their personal background, so that, uh, and then we'll, we'll go into what I think will be an exciting uh, uh, part of our show. Sure, I was uh, born and raised in Argentina. I lived in uh, Germany and Peru before moving to uh, Boston to complete college at MIT, and then move over to California to get a PhD at the California Institute of Technology. Work for a DOE lab out of uh, Sandy National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and then uh, join the ranks of uh, California entrepreneurs to start QS. Oh, boy. So I should call you doctor then, huh? <laughs> That's it's, right. It's interesting. Uh, in the background, um, they didn't say that. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm always appreciative when doctors don't emphasize that you have to say it, but it's nice uh, nice to hear. Um the reason we we invited you to the show is, uh, as I said, uh, waiting lines and, and other things, and uh, uh, you're kind of a, uh, an expert at uh, giving some suggestions on how to handle that. So uh, uh, my first question is, um, how how do you reduce waiting time uh, on lines? Well, we let people join a mobile or virtual line uh, from their phone or any computer and uh, then or wait wherever they want to wait and get notified on their phone by calls or text messages when their turn approaches. We also let people make an appointment or a reservation online directly. So, uh, so we provide small businesses with a, a simple widget that they can easily add to their website that will immediately allow people to make reservations or appointments. Uh, or get in line for the uh, get next available service, and uh, we find that more than 80% of the people who uh, interact with our widget online will actually show up at at their store offline. So it's a pretty um, amazing conversion statistic. Well, so how? But how does it work? Uh, how does your? Is, is it adjusted the app? Well, not just. Is it an app? Is it um, uh, a program? How does it work? It's a web-based. Um, uh, software so uh, all the all the merchant needs to do so if you're a, a small business say you're running a barber shop or a restaurant or a tax advisor service or retail store all you need to do is uh, go to uh, com. that's q-l-e-s-s dot um, com and you um, create an account there and log in and that immediately gives you access to a queue manager that then uh, lets you manage your queue so people will get a phone number to be able to text in or call into your uh, businesses queue, uh, you'll get a widget that you can put on your website for it. So once the users get in line, which they do on their own, then you simply uh, press a button to call the next person, and uh, Qless takes care of all the rest. So we notify the person when to show up. Uh, we'll keep people updated with wait forecasts that are calculated automatically. We even let the users push themselves back if they need more time, um, and everything to convert uh, those customers into an actual, you know, people in queue into an actual customer. Well, um, uh, who would use your server? What type of establishments? 
Well, our customers include um, all the ones I mentioned, so uh, restaurants, barbershops, retail uh, stores uh, and chains, um, hotels, um, family entertainment centers, theme parks. Um, we have bowling alleys, shooting ranges, uh, healthcare, urgent care, doctor's offices, hospitals, uh, universities, community colleges, uh, governments, DMVs. It's really anywhere where people... Well, I like the one you said about uh, uh, entertainment centers. N nothing's worse than waiting in line with a bunch of kids. <coughs> uh, and if you can, uh, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's uh, it's a big relief, and particularly also at a, at a doctor's office, not having to wait with your kids getting sick from other kids is a is a huge relief. Well, that's what I hadn't thought of, but but you're right. So, in other words, uh, a mother could, uh, if it's a, 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 many doctors fall behind in their, uh, uh, on their patient schedule. So this is a way of helping them uh, uh, keep the waiting room relatively bare. Am I hearing That's you correctly? Right. Not, not only that, but it, it sends reminders at reduced no-shows by 30%, so it cuts off on people who uh, forget to show for their appointment. It also lets people know if the doctor's running late so that the patient doesn't uh, arrive too early and then complains. Uh, so, yeah, it, it really adjusts on, on both directions. Well, um, in, in your background, um, uh, is, is, is uh, queuing up um, in lines uh, something that does affect, um, as, as the study showed, does affect uh, ultimate sales? Oh, it's huge, Don. It's huge. Uh, having people wait in line for service is like pouring water down a, a colander too fast. You know, a lot of it is going to fall down the sides. Uh, so you, businesses often don't realize how many customers they lose uh, from having a wait. Uh, we've measured uh, small businesses lose 50% of their clientele during the wait online. Uh, um, I mean, one of the first things that a business gets from getting that so they'll know right away how many people they're losing and how many less they lose once they set up QLIS. Uh, so the data collection is a big part. We've uh, just done a study uh, for a Fortune 500, uh, Fortune 100 retailer that's using QLIS nationwide, and they've seen a 12% increase in the number of people with the patients to uh, to wait for service. So that's a that's a you know direct impact on their bottom line. That's a couple hundred million dollars in additional profit a, a year uh, globally as they scale. So it's a, it's a huge effect. Yeah, that's really uh, fascinating. It's something I hadn't really uh, thought about until I saw uh, something about you across my desk. And then, uh, as often the case, uh, this this study um, uh, appeared, and and that's one of the reasons why we asked you onto this program. Um, if you had uh, if you, if you had to give advice to a small business. Uh, 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 that was a brick and mortar. Uh, what would be the three things you'd say? Uh, obviously, number one is to use your system. But what are the three things you would uh, suggest they do to reduce their waiting time? Well, the first one is if you if you don't have a way for people to book an appointment online, you need a way for people to book an appointment online. The, the whole uh, purpose of a website is to attract people to your business. So if you're not doing that today, if you're forcing people to call or email you, 
then you're losing a lot of business for sure. There's people who come in online. And I remember uh, one time a few years ago, I went to a website. Uh, it was a, a, a website for a place in Spain. And it was uh, night, of course, in Spain because I was uh, here in the U.S. And the website said, uh, you know, website's closed right now. Come back in the morning. It's <laughs> 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 like they had really missed the whole purpose of the web. I and mean, it's just to work on, on your customer's time, right? Uh, and so you need to have a way for customers when they're, you know, at 3 a.m. in their pajamas and they're ready to go. You want to give them the opportunity to to book an appointment right there. So that's, uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, if you have a – a wait at all for service. You can't have people wait because you are you are essentially telling them you don't respect their time. You're going to make them unhappy and you're going to lose a bunch of them. So you you have to set up a mobile queue management system that lets them go out and have a smoke or get a cup of coffee or just roam your store uh, and know that they're not going to lose their place in line. Um, and um, number three is if you have people who are calling in uh, and waiting to talk to anybody, whether it's for support or sales. And they ever have to wait on hold, then that's a it's a you know it's a way that you're losing a lot of people to, and it's, it's nothing more annoying than waiting on hold. Uh, so you need to set up um, a system that allows them to hang up and get a call back when their uh, turn arrives. In fact, you almost lost me uh, on, uh, on this show for having uh, to wait on hold. So, and all of those three services are are available by uh, by calling in or just going to QLess.com. Again, that's QLESS.com. Uh, well, you I, can be up and running in a matter of say, hours. Say that again because I uh, I talked over you. Say your site again. Yeah, it's QLess.com. That's Q-L-E-S-S.com. Uh, you can always uh, find it as uh, WaitingInLineSucks.com too. Well, actually, uh, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, I, I intend to use the service myself for exactly what you just said. Uh, 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 we have uh, our guests calling in, and I think we're definitely going to do the, the, this queuing uh, program with you. So uh, you, you've got a new customer today. <laughs> Great. Welcome aboard. All right. Um, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we, our last guest is going to really uh, put us on a, on a high note. So after this commercial, we'll be back with our final guest. And, and thank you again, Alex, for coming on board. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit cost. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Our, our last guest, and uh, is one that I've been looking forward to, is Warren Zabalu. Uh, Warren, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. How are you doing tonight? You, you've been ver- you've been very patient tonight, and you're going to be our final guest. And I'm, I'm glad you are, because what's the name of your book? The book is called Being a Go-To Tech. Right. And it's basically about how to maintain a high level of performance over a long period of time without avoiding burnout and, and overworking yourself. Well, um, I was at a conference uh, 
yesterday, and they said the number one reason people sell their business is because of burnout. I hadn't realized yeah. that. And uh, uh, w- when I uh, read, your, uh, read your book, uh, I, I found a, a lot of things in it. So tell us what are the uh, – first, tell us a little bit about your background. That's what we ask all our guests. Well, I benefited from a kind of a long trip through my career. I started working on PCs back in the 1980s and then went into government contracting for about 12 years. Left that in 2001 to go into clinical research um, and worked my way up through there to become a um, IT manager and the head of operations for a clinical research company with offices in 14 countries. Um, along the way, it's quite an interesting trip. I experienced a lot of different management styles, a lot of different company sizes, uh, companies as small as four people back in 1982 to companies as large as several thousand. Uh, the last thing we did uh, in clinical research, it's a very topsy-turvy business. So I'm always uh, amazed by how much change there is in a short period of time. I worked in the same office for 12 years and worked for five different companies. And each iteration was a new company, new challenges, bigger than before. Uh, in, in July of 2011, we brought four companies together total, uh, one from Switzerland, one from Germany, one from the U.K., and one from the U.S. And you see these things happening all the time, and each time this happens, it's, it's exciting and, and frightening at the same time because you've got this challenge to bring all these different cultures together, all these different systems together. Everything you just fin- finished building um, needs to be torn down and started again in a brand new way, in a brand new light, with a brand new um, you know, return on investment considerations, foreign currencies, all those things. And so I started taking notes about how to do this without breaking myself to death. And that's what generated this book, which came out last year. Okay. So how do you become a go-to tech? Um, well, the first thing you do is prepare to be interrupted all the time. The uh, Anything you do when you're running a project or you're running a business, uh, stress is a big deal. And you manage your stress by managing your efficiency. The more you can do things well and do them continually well and do them with a great deal of efficiency during the daytime, the less stuff you take home with you at night. Um, the one thing you have to keep in mind is that it's never going to be the way you plan when you start your day. You're never going to get those things done you thought about when you're driving into work. You're going to sit down at your desk and start to work on those things and Someone's going to walk in the door, and your morning changes. So the first thing the book talks about is how to deal with that, how to multitask, multiple tasks, and how to do things that are uh, maybe nonlinear fashion. It would be a, a task, you know, step one from task A and step two from task C and step four from task B and jumping back and forth. I think anybody who's had a desk that looks like a paper factory has an idea of how that feels. And flexibility is important. It's probably the most important thing you can do. If you go in with a very static approach to what you want to do every day, it's going to be a fight, an uphill battle, and it's going to be one that you'll lose eventually over time. Well, um, Beth, um, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, every morning I make a list, and every every evening I'm disappointed that I haven't gotten through half the list. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, how do you address that? Well, the book talks about making the list. 
that's important because you, you lose track of things very quickly. The way that uh, I found it works best is stop what you're doing and jump to the task that interrupts you. It, it sounds like it's counterproductive, but it really isn't. Don't put anything aside. Focus on what you want to do, but the moment something else hits your plate, get that off your plate as fast as you can so you can get back to the original task. Um, and that's going to continue throughout the day, and you may find yourself doing three or four things at once. Uh, you also need to learn how to delegate and communicate. Um, in the IT world, the customer is the end user. And you write your service level agreements for the end user, the people on the floor using the computers. So what you want to do is maybe be preemptive in the way you approach your job and try to design things around you that will help you be more efficient from the beginning so you don't have these interruptions as often. It's a, a bad situation when someone gets behind and they're putting out the brush for hours and they're running from place to place and they can't seem to get ahead of the game. A lot of that has to do with bad preparation. Um, and listening to others is, is very important, but you need to listen to them with a certain amount of nuance. You need to understand where their opinions are coming from and understand how relevant those opinions are to what you're doing and understand your opinions. That's probably the most important thing. And understand your own skills and have a belief in what you can bring to the equation as well so that don't, people don't push you off track and you don't find yourself being redirected by the end of the day doing something slightly different than what you tended in the morning, which is the same as not doing it at all. Well, um, w why did you name it the go-to tech? Would that not apply to just about anybody, what your, your principles are? Yeah, as actually writing it, you asked one of your callers earlier about the young people. And uh, being a, a crusty old tech, I was getting a bit disillusioned with some of the lack of what we call pride of ownership, meaning taking ownership in everything you do every day that I was seeing with some of the younger guys. So this is actually written in the vein of a drill sergeant talking to the recruits. And so I was trying to encourage guys in IT to be a little, little bit more responsive to their, their daily chores and understand just how much they can impact things. Well, um, uh, our audience is made up primarily of small business leaders. What would be the three things that you would tell a small business owner who oftentimes is like the focus of the entire, com uh, entire enterprise? What, what were the three things you would tell the them to do? Uh, um, uh, I'll leave well, it up to you. The first thing is, is again, to um, believe in what you're doing and don't let anybody push you off that path. And that can be trickier than it sounds, uh, especially if you're getting tired and you're getting worn down and you've had vendors that are giving you a hard time. That always happens. Uh, you have vendors that are always late. You've got end users or customers that have certain expectations and maybe you can't deliver on those expectations every time. What you can't ever do is doubt yourself. You've always got to believe in what you're doing. And the second thing is to learn how to delegate and believe in the people around you. That's where the nuance comes in because not everybody can be on your team. And the people that are on your team um, maybe have different levels of participation they can bring to any particular job. They may have too many things on it, they're, they're doing, doing at once. They, they could have a lack of skills on a particular task. So you need to understand what you're doing with your work allocation to your employees. And the last thing is just the pride of ownership, to uh, maintain something that's going to be a, a lasting legacy of what you do, but do it in a manner that doesn't burn you out. That means no one to call it quits at the end of the day. Try to design your battles that you fight every morning so they're winnable more often than not. There'll be days when you have just a bad day, but there'll be days when you feel great when you go home. 
And the worst thing you want to do is not be able to sleep at night. That's the worst sign that you can possibly have of, of bad management is you being awake at night about what you had to do the next day or what happened the day before. And that's part of the bottom line. You can't let stress get to you. You've got to find ways to work more efficiently, work with better communications, work with better understanding of the people around you, a better understanding of what you bring to the job, and how you can manage the whole situation to make this as uh, pleasant an experience as possible, and not just profitable, but enjoyable. Uh, uh, the name of your book again, and how can uh, our uh, listeners um, uh, find it? Well, it's called Being a Go-To Tech. It's, it's published by Universal Publishers, and it's available on, on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, uh, thank you. I think we've ended the program on a positive note, and I thank you for your patience and waiting and being with us. You're welcome. Have a nice day. You too. My name is Donald Mazzella. This is Small Business uh, Digest, where we offer actionable advice to our audience. Uh, our, our guests do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capability for helping our audience add profits and just generally run their business better. Thank you for listening. And we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. We're here every week at uh, Blog Talk Radio slash Small Business Digest. You can learn more about us at smallbusinessdigest.net. Uh, next week, we're going to be at the uh, Cloud for SMB Expo. We're going to be broadcasting Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're going to have uh, a lot of guests uh, talking about the cloud and uh, how it's helping small businesses increase profits. We'll hope you'll join us one, two, or three days. We'll be back to our regular schedule two weeks from today on September 4th with a lineup that I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, we, uh, we remind you uh, that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at smallbusinessdigest.net and in our magazine, Small Business Digest. For a print copy or an online copy or uh, to sign up, go to smallbusinessdigest.net. This is Don Mazzella, and I thank you for, t uh, for joining us today.